This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast in the very first week of the very final phase of this election cycle. I'm Kristen Roberts, head of news at McClatchy, and today I am very happy to be joined by Alex Rorty, political correspondent in D.C. Hello, Alex. Kristen, it's wonderful to have you back in the host chair, where you belong, I should say. Oh, you are so sweet. <laughs> I am also your boss, so I recognize the things you say to me as flattery, and I appreciate it. I will always take flattery. I am actually truly delighted that today Francesca Chambers, our White House correspondent, is here with us, too, because this is the first time you and I, Francesca, have ever done a podcast together. I know. I'm a little nervous. I've, I've heard that other people have sparred with you in the past, but I, I am saying I don't know about that. Francesca's been talking to Dave. Francesca's been talking with Dave. That's what that sounds like. I am happy to spar with anyone. Most of the sparring happens with Alex. But if you want to give me a run, we, we, we can do it. You know, come at me, bro, as my daughter says to me regularly now. Well, we'll discuss that at the end of the podcast. That would be fun. Okay, so coming up, we're going to discuss a suddenly, I don't know, know how suddenly, but I don't know, a suddenly tight presidential race in Florida and why Joe Biden's weakness with Hispanic voters is actually a real problem for his campaign, not just in Florida, but across the country. And the question really is, can the Democratic presidential nominee recover some of the support that he believed he had? And can he do it before November? There are only a few weeks left. But first... Two stories filled with direct quotes from the president were published in the last week. And these are the kind of quotes that would have ended a campaign not so long ago. And the question today is whether they are going to matter at all. The first one, President Trump's comments on tape to Bob Woodward about the severity and gravity of the risk of coronavirus. The second were his comments conveyed to Jeffrey Goldberg by people who heard them are denigrating Americans who lost their lives in war. And so, Francesca, I'm going to you first here. Does the White House consider either of these dangerous? It's pretty obvious, Kristen, that based on the number of people that they lined up when it comes to the Atlantic story, who were there on the trips, who were in the room, to push back on that, they consider it to be really a major problem for the president if there is a thought that vet, that he denigrated veterans. The comments in that article about John McCain, he had already said Things about John McCain being a loser prior to running for president, I guess in 2016 when he was beginning his campaign. So those are a little bit harder for them to push back on than the comments that were allegedly made at John Kelly's son's grave or on the trip. But when it comes to the book Rage, as you, you were mentioning before, he's on tape. The president is on tape saying these things and you can listen to the recordings for yourself. And there are legitimate questions being raised about how it is that the president did 18 interviews with Bob Woodward for this book at a point when there was a raging pandemic in the country. There is some pushes on the right to put blame on Lindsey Graham, the South Carolina senator, for encouraging the president to do these interviews. 
But even if you believe that, Kristen, that raises real questions about how the leader of the free world who is running for re-election right now could have been pushed into having 18 conversations by someone outside his administration. Oh, we could do an entire podcast about the interview strategy of Bob Woodward. I mean, I found that as a journalist to be one of the most interesting parts of listening to those tapes, but I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to ask Alex, what are Democrats going to do with the Woodward tapes? Well, I, I think you've already seen it. I mean, they're going to take the audio of those comments. Again, it's it's really important for the purposes of an ad that these aren't just comments that show up in a book or in a news article, that there's audio of them, right? Because what does that mean? That means that groups like American Bridge or Priorities USA can take that and just put it in their ads. They can play the actual audio. And you've again, you've already seen that. Uh, American Bridge yesterday and Priorities USA today releasing a uh, b- bilingual ad, in fact, highlighting some of Trump's comments. And and that, you know, ultimately, if we're talking about a political bottom line, yes, the, the media coverage matters. I think anything that shifts the attention back to the pandemic, which, you know, in fairness, in the last few weeks has not been quite the, the number one story in the political media in the way that it was over the summer. Anything that shifts it back, the narrative back to the pandemic is, is bad for Trump. Bob Woodward going on 60 Minutes, six weeks before an election, still a show with a very large audience. That matters. But what really matters, what the bottom line really is, is that these audio clips can go into ads, that the campaigns and Democrats can spend millions of dollars putting them in front of voters. And this is the biggest weakness for Trump in all of this election. It's the pandemic and the widely held perception in the public that he struggled to respond to the pandemic when it happened, that his his response was insufficient for a national crisis. And that's why we see President Trump in the position that he is in a very weak position for an incumbent seeking re-election less than two months before the election day. All right. So I'm just going to throw this on the table and and get your reaction here. I think, yes, all of those things that you said about what Democrats are already doing are certainly true, right? What is also true is that Fox News is covering it in a very different way. Just this morning, we have Mike Pence on and he is talking about the president wanting to show calmness, wanting to demonstrate that he's the leader of the country, that what he said was just a reflection of of him being a responsible leader. I mean, he said when President Trump took the quote unquote unprecedented step of suspending all travel from China. The president put the health of America first from day one. This was presidential leadership. I witnessed presidential leadership here. That's how the White House is talking about this. So number one, they are spinning it in a way that demonstrates that he's just, he's trying to keep everyone calm. And isn't that what a leader is supposed to do? So this idea of not panicking America, I think is a really important one that you can't overlook when you're thinking about how to message these quotes. But the second thing I would throw out there is what diminishes in my mind, the power of these quotes from an electoral and electability perspective is that the coronavirus comments came in a vehicle that many Americans, especially the ones who will probably decide this election, don't care about anymore. A large part of the American public has completely written off people such as Bob Woodward and the Washington Post and CNN. This group of Americans is simply not listening anymore to information that comes from those vehicles. And I think that matters a lot. So what am I missing there? 
May I also just add, Kristen, though, that when it when it comes to the Lindsey Graham comment, it was actually Fox News who said that. And what I'm arguing is not about the interview strategy. I'm arguing about the strategy of the right to say that this isn't Donald Trump's fault that this happened to him. It's Lindsey Graham's fault. And the notion that that it's Lindsey Graham's fault, right? One of the biggest arguments that President Trump has made against Joe Biden is that he's not in control of his own decisions. It's progressives, it's leftists, it's all kinds of people around him. So it's an odd strategy to, to start pushing an idea that Donald Trump is not in charge of his decisions. Lindsey Graham and other people around him are in charge of these decisions. As it pertains to the argument itself about whether the president did or didn't do enough on the coronavirus and should have or shouldn't have caused people to panic, you know, another argument that's going around today that I, I think we can't ignore is if that's the case, then why has the president spent the summer saying that the, the left is going to have Antifa marching towards people's homes, that there will be protests, there will be all these demonstrations, and that you won't be safe in Joe Biden's America. There's a serious question to be asked about whether or not that is inciting panic. And that seems to be a strategy of the Trump campaign at this point. Yeah, I think we just need to lift up and separate some issues here, right? I'm not talking about whether Trump is right or wrong to blame Lindsey Graham. I'm talking about what actually is going to matter on Election Day, right? And what is going to matter with the group of voters who are likely to decide the election, people in Michigan and in Pennsylvania and in Florida and Wisconsin, right? This is the group of people that we're talking about. And Alex, if you have Vice President Pence on Fox News, which is the channel people watch, spinning this as a demonstration of leadership, does that diminish or not? Does that diminish or not the power of whatever ad Democrats pull together based on the tapes? Well, sure it does. And and I don't think, I mean, I, I wouldn't expect predictions are always fraught, uh, especially at this time and age. But it, it's not as if I expect Donald Trump's numbers to suddenly crater, right, in swing states or, or nationally. I expect there to be very little effect on what we see the top line number in this presidential race between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Look, that number has been pretty stable for three months now. And we've seen any number of scandals or big news events, maybe not quite to this level, but any number that have failed to rock the numbers in a significant way, including, I should say, both conventions. So the, the idea that this is going to be some kind of game changer for the race, no, of course not. What I think matters is, again, you have to pull back and look at the context of where Donald Trump is in this reelection effort. He is behind. Right. He is behind in, in critical states like Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, possibly Florida. We're going to talk about that in the, ne- the next segment. Arizona. He needs things to start going right for him over the course of the next six weeks. And I think whatever you you say about this president, having this as part of the discussion is not helpful. Refocusing attention on the pandemic and his early response to the pandemic is not helpful. And it's not about of course, the Washington Post article about whether or not people, swing voters in Wisconsin are going to read that directly. It's, it is about the ad. It's also about friends of theirs on Facebook posting the article or posting comments about it. It's about their own social circles. If you're still a persuadable voter, I don't think you live entirely in that conservative media ecosystem. Maybe you read articles from there, but you don't live entirely within that ecosystem like some hardcore Trump voters do. I have to assume that at some level, you're still open to other information. Maybe it's not from Washington Post or New York Times or even NPR, but maybe it's one of your friends who is open to it. And so it's just focusing the attention on that. You know, Trump needs to start having some wins over the next six weeks. He needs to make up some of the ground in a discussion like this. I mean, it's hard to imagine anything, you know, more counterproductive than that been you know, relitigating his his response to the pandemic. I would also say one the one anecdote that has stuck with me more than anything uh, when I talk to Democrats about why Trump slipped in his poll numbers in the late spring, early summer, 
it was someone who runs at one of the major Democratic super PACs who told me that for years they would focus group swing voters and talk about Donald Trump lying and that nobody would care. Just, just nobody cared as just flatly would reject that as any kind of, you know, line of attack for Democrats. They just said that wouldn't have any success except when the pandemic started. And, you know, the logic here is, is pretty simple. If he was lying about things about his own personal political fortune or something that's happening in the White House that seemed far away to voters, they didn't care. But when it became something that mattered to them in their course of their everyday life, which of course the pandemic does because it affects every single American, really every single person on the globe right now, that they all of a sudden, this, this Democrat said, they started caring about the lies. They didn't think they could trust what Donald Trump said. You know, in this person's view, that's why he thought the race had really fundamentally changed in a way that it just simply hadn't before the pandemic. Again, this isn't like Donald Trump is going to fall five points in the national polls. It's that it just, this news makes it that much harder to win over some of the remaining swing voters in a place like Wisconsin. This isn't how he does it. This isn't the discussion that's going to help him do that. So I'm smiling at you because I feel like we should mark the moment. We should mark the moment when I think you made a really rational argument. <laughs> right? go, go on, go on. <laughs> this, is, this is not, not going to tank the president, but focusing on coronavirus is never a good idea for a campaign that wants to win re-election. So well done, Alex. Let's talk, let's talk about the other thing that, uh, you know, Francesca noted that the staff at the White House, the president's staff really rallied to try to knock down the Atlantic article about the comments the president has made about American service members who lost their lives in war, because that's the one that seems to scare this White House and this president a little bit more. So let me let me ask you a question, Francesca. I'll bring it to you again first, and then we'll go to Alex. How much worse does this get if some of the senior military officers or recently former military officers begin to talk about this on the record rather than through the Atlantic? That's exactly it. Is someone would have to come forward who was taken seriously to comment on the record. But no one wants to do that because any time that you come forward and put your name in this administration on something, you have a massive target on your back from President Trump and anyone else who supports him for attacks. And they, to this point, have not wanted to do that. I'm not convinced at this point, Kristen, this far out from the Atlantic article, that anyone is going to do that. Maybe they will. I don't know. But I did want to touch on something also that Alex said about the swing voters and what they care about. I just spent some time recently in Pennsylvania and my in-laws actually live in one of the swingiest counties in all of Pennsylvania. And, you know, I guess I consider them like my model voter, right? (laughs) In terms of, in terms of, in terms of this election. And they're really great guinea pigs, by the way, to bounce all these ideas off of. And what really stuck with me is this idea that they don't like the things that Donald Trump says or does, these voters in this area, when it comes to these sorts of issues, but they do feel really strongly about his, his pledge that he would turn the economy back around and create more jobs and the sorts of things that he's promising to do, even if he has not expanded on them in depth in a second term. And they're really grappling in this election with the the juxtaposition of these two ideas. Maybe don't like the things he said about veterans or other people, but gosh darn it, they just think that he would be better on the economy and other issues than Joe Biden. And that could be the sweet spot for Joe Biden in this particular campaign is porting forward policies that can top Trump's on those issues. 
Kristen, can I just jump in real quick? Are you are you mm-hmm. talking about when you talk about senior military officials coming forward? I should point out that I mean it, it's gotten almost lost in all the coverage of the Woodward book, but he does quote Jim Mattis and Dan Coats really just ripping on the president and actually asking themselves whether or not they needed to come out publicly and oppose him in some way, which Jim Mattis did after the president's response in Lafayette Square earlier this year. But are you really saying whether or not John Kelly comes out and confirms the story? Because that's what it sounds like. And I think that is the the intense speculation yeah. around all this. The former chief of staff, head of DHS, coming out and saying, no, I heard the president say all this. It's exactly right. He's unfit for office. Vote for Joe Biden. Deep state, man. <laughs> that was the perfect response because that will be the response if John Kelly does. I, I mean, I, I'm going to sound like you, Kristen, on this, but if John Kelly were to do that, I, again, it, it's it's just like the Woodward book. It's not the discussion Trump needs to have here in these final weeks. But do I think that that somehow breaks the dam, right? And all of a sudden this election swings to Joe Biden? No. No. I mean, this is the problem, right? I mean, the one thing that Goldberg noted in the story is something that I think about a lot as well. And it's that nothing he said about John McCain mattered. And none of what he's reported to have said is different enough from things that Trump has already done and said. Like, let's remember for a moment, grab them by the pussy. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I will grant you one thing. It is clearly far more acceptable in America to hate on women than it is to hate on military servicemen. But really, like we've seen this movie before and it was, you know, August of what, four or five years ago when he's when he said horrible things about John McCain, who was a war hero. Right. And he continued to do it and it didn't affect him at all. So I just don't know that any of this is different enough. To me, it's not that it doesn't matter. It's that it's already baked in. Mm-hmm. Right, that, which that means you, it doesn't matter. Well, I, but I mean, look, there on Earth too, a Donald Trump that's like twenty percent less Donald Trump might be winning this election by eight points right now because people see him as a pragmatic businessman who maybe says some things that he shouldn't every once in a while, but tells it like it is. And instead, he goes so much, he goes so far that he insults someone like John McCain. There's just a segment of the electorate that won't tolerate that, but. That's a part of a larger argument. But that's what I was saying before, when you say it's already baked in, that this is this is what voters are grappling with right now, is whether or not that they think that this time around, they would like to do something differently, given a second chance to vote for the other person who they might think is is more moral or they like better. And Alex and I will get into that at another point later. We could have a whole discussion about that, too. But 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 you mean, you mean you mean whether Joe Biden is likable enough? <laughs> or not likable exactly enough. Right. Yeah, yes, but 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 whether or not uh, being likable, right, and being seen as more moral to restore the soul of the nation sort of thing that Joe Biden is pushing is actually going to be the difference maker. And if you look at the, the polls, then you look at the national polls where Joe Biden is ahead in these swing state polls. If it is baked in already, then then Donald Trump is losing the election. And all that happens with with these additional stories is it just creates more thread, more strength for that argument. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. 
So, Francesca, with the brilliant transition, thank you. Let's talk about <laughs> Joe Biden. Okay, let's talk about Joe Biden and focus in on a story from David Smiley in the Miami Herald in the past couple of days about what a difficult time Joe Biden is having with Hispanic voters, Venezuelans and Cubans in Miami-Dade County. So, Alex, why don't you, for all of our listeners, you know, give us some top lines there and then dig in and tell us, what does this convey? How are you thinking about this when you think about the strength of Joe Biden in Florida? Sure. Well, the, the poll you mentioned, it was uh, 500 likely voters in Miami-Dade County. So the, the biggest county, obviously, where Miami is, where Democrats if they want to win Florida, they have to run up the score in Miami-Dade County. The, the survey showed that Joe Biden was leading Donald Trump there, 55% to 38%, which maybe sounds like it's good, right? A 17-point edge, that's a big lead for Joe Biden. But the truth is Hillary Clinton, even as she lost Florida overall, won Miami-Dade County by 30 points in 2016. And so this is obviously a, the, the top line is a concern. And the reason, the reason Joe Biden isn't doing better, he's doing poorly among Hispanic voters, and in particular, Cuban-American voters, who I think Joe Biden is losing by 38 points to Donald Trump. You don't have to be a genius political analyst to know that that is a severe problem. Um, and it feels like that this isn't, look, I, I think there are two things here. The, the Cuban vote is its own thing in American politics. It is usually entirely separate its own category. And because of where it's located in the pivotal swing state of Florida, it is always important. But I think it's easy to, to miss that Biden's problems aren't just entirely with that group of voters. It's a, he has a broader Hispanic problem too. And it's not nearly as bad as this poll would, would indicate with, with Cuban American voters. But if you look across the battleground states, particularly in the Southwest, where you're going to see a lot of Mexican American voters, Biden has, has struggled. He's lagged behind Hillary Clinton's numbers. And in an election where, with the emergence of Texas and Arizona as preeminent swing states, more Arizona, but look, if you look at the polling, it's still very close in Texas too. You see that, I mean, the, the, the Hispanic vote is poised to play at actually a bigger role than it has in recent elections. And this is a big problem. And as, as David Smiley's uh, very good story about this noted, you have a lot of concern from Democrats that the Biden campaign at a sort of fundamental level has not put in the work right, to, to reach out to these voters, that they somewhat overlooked them. And meanwhile, the Trump campaign, as we've talked about on this podcast for years, I feel like, Kristen, we've been talking about this. Donald Trump is always, the, in the Trump administration, are laser focused on winning these Cuban-American voters. And it seems like- And the Venezuelans. I mean, how many yes, times does yes. Donald Trump, like, like location drop around? <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's you know, and, and, and it seems to be paying off for them, you know, and, and, and look, you're always going to get a lot of arguments when it comes to Latino polling about accuracy and if people are doing it right. And it is in fact very difficult to poll, but I think there is a broad acceptance and acknowledgement that Biden has a problem with the Hispanic vote generally and specifically with the Cuban American vote that he has potentially a very difficult situation. Don't, don't forget Barack Obama won the Cuban vote in Florida in 2008. Feels like an awfully long time ago now. It was like a different world. Francesca, <laughs> how is the White House thinking about Florida? We know about Donald Trump's love affair with, you know, everything south of Orlando. So, you know, in terms of Venezuelans and Cubans and, and his feeling that he owns that piece of the mm -hmm. state in a way that no Republican has for a while, as, as Alex suggested. So how are they thinking about how to attack Joe Biden with these groups of voters? Socialism. Hands down, it's socialism. It's if yeah. you vote for Joe Biden, then he'll 
turn the United States into Venezuela. I mean, that has been their argument this whole entire campaign. It was their argument against Bernie Sanders. They've carried it over to Joe Biden. They have been really consistent in that argument. But I will also note that the Trump campaign also feels really strongly about his ability to win Florida. They have said that they are not concerned about it for this reason. Almost none of their maps at this point include him losing Florida in this election in terms of their pathway to victory for 270. I mean, I don't want to suggest that they don't have maps where he's losing Florida. They have certainly planned for those contingencies. But I mean, literally, that's not the maps that they're relying on for this election. They think that he will do very well in Florida and in those communities. We're going to talk a lot more about this. And Francesca, you're going to come back on the show because we're going to dig in. We are going to dig into each of the states that I think are going to decide that I think and Alex and I can have this conversation about which states to dig into. But but for me on Florida, anecdotally living here, driving around the state, talking to lots and lots of people. To me, this feels very much like a Donald Trump vote right now. Right. And so I, I can't wait to have this conversation more. I'm going to move us to what is my. Oh, Alex, you had something else to say. <laughs> Did I? I don't know. You're making a face. I was no. making a face. I was actually, hold on, Kristen. I was making a face. If I could just add. Fine, go. If I could just go add ahead. one more thing in there. Okay, when it comes to, to Florida and their strategy, first of all, we should have a whole discussion about Pennsylvania. I think that's another really important state. Totally. I might I just add. But when it comes to the Trump campaign and the states, Kristen, that they think are really important, the Latino vote and the African-American vote, and this is why I brought up Pennsylvania, to me are very similar in terms of the strategy that the Trump campaign is employing in this election. They don't need to win them. They do not expect to win them. They just need to cut into Democrats and Joe Biden's margins just enough that in counties like Miami-Dade, and if we're again talking about some of these other states like Pennsylvania, the Philadelphia area, the Pittsburgh area, they don't need to win the African-American vote or the Latino vote. They just need to make sure that Joe Biden does not hit his marks there. That's all that they need to do. And that is their strategy at this point. I, I would all just right, chip Alex. in real quick. It's not just the Latino vote. It's it's Latino men. If we really, if we don't want to talk yes. about this group as a monolith, just a, an important point, Latinas do not like Donald Trump. By and large, they're not going to vote for him. But there is an opening with Latino men. And this isn't just a recent phenomenon. This has been a concern for Democrats really the whole year or even going back several years. That's where the problem for Democrats is. That's where the strength for Republicans lies. I'm moving on now. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to my favorite part of the show, which is where you guys get to try to tell me something that our listeners, including me, don't already know. And so, Alex, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Well, speaking of weaknesses for Joe Biden in the electorate, one thing that I think has been overlooked, he's doing very well with millennials and Gen Z. There has been a lot written about how baby boomers have swung in some ways back to Joe Biden since the pandemic in particular. He's made inroads relative to Hillary Clinton. The generation where he's struggling, Generation X, actually. And if you look at some of the polling, some of the polling is actually pretty clear. It doesn't perfectly overlap with the generations, of course, but it's really voters from, say, 45 to 60 years old, people who are not yet seniors, people in middle age, that Donald Trump actually polls the best with in in many surveys. And it's raised this interesting question to me, doing some of the research, you find that this is actually, at least some members of this generation are the most conservative of anyone. These are people who grew up were forged in the Reagan revolution. They are hardcore Republicans and have always been hardcore Republicans and always will be. And you also have to think that they have 
reacted to the coronavirus situation differently. That if you're older, you're more concerned for your personal safety than you are if you're middle age, and that that's a part of it. But just an interesting nugget that's popped up in a lot of polling and I think has drawn the interest of a lot of strategists on both sides. You know, I let a lot of reductive crap go by in our conversations, but I am not middle aged. So um, do not call Gen X middle aged. You need I'm, to be really careful in your Gen X commentary, Alex. We're we're the, the yeah okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna shut up now, and I'm gonna you let Francesca go. I'm not I'm up. not gonna respond to that at all. Need to back up, Francesca. You're up. All right, millennial here. I I wrote a story today, Kristen, about the opportunity zones and the president's plan, or not rather plan. The problem is there there isn't really a plan, but pledge to expand them in a second term. So on the eve of the Republican National Convention, the Trump campaign put out a list of what they said were things that he would do in a second term. Expand opportunity zones was high up there. It is a program that is intended to help fight poverty in distressed communities. And it is something that Tim Scott, the South Carolina senator, originally proposed and has worked really closely with the Trump administration on. So I dug into this and tried to figure out what do they mean by expand opportunity zones? So as it turns out, they are looking into a way to increase the number of these zones in order to bring essentially more tax breaks to areas that are seen as low income for various different reasons to try and get investment there. But there's been a lot of criticism of this program, particularly among Democrats, as to whether it actually helps distressed communities, helps fight poverty. Investors are certainly making a bang for their buck on them, but is it creating the types of jobs, the types of businesses that actually help the people that it's intended to? And so hope you all read the story today to get more on that. That's awesome. Thank you. You guys both win. I learned something from the both of you. So that's it for us today. (laughs) Thank you to our producer, Jeremy Sheeler, and to our executive producer, Davin Coburn. And thank you to our listeners. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a rating or a review. Talk to you next week.